0: Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders. Joining me today is Mike Andrews and his fantastic new book, The Influential Christian, Learning to Lead from the Heart. The book deals with the topics of influence and empathy. Welcome, Mike.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate being invited.
0: It's just so interesting about Your topic, empathy and influence. I really never kind of put the two of them together. What brought you to this place?
1: Just sort of the genesis of it. I mean, my background is very technical and analytical, and and empathy is not something that was really something that uh, was just natural. But I got involved in church teaching and training teachers and realized that what teachers needed was something more than techniques and tools. We all really need something that develops our inner character. Just as teachers want to be an influence, all of us crave some kind of connection with people. And the thing that's really at the heart of making lasting influence and connections is being able to connect with people's hearts. And empathy is really the best way uh, to do that. That's really the main vehicle that we have for making those kinds of connections and relationships that are at a heart level. Certainly, you know, people influence in a lot of different ways. And nowadays, the word influence has more of almost a marketing spin to it. It's more about persuasion and coercion and, and that sort of thing. What I'm talking about here is something that's a lot deeper, a lot more long lasting, uh, a lot more effective in building relationships.
0: My sister is a teacher and she often says kids need to learn empathy early on. When she says that, I think, I, I guess I thought, We just come with empathy.
1: There's a common misconception. I think it's a misconception that empathy is sort of an innate quality that some people have and some people don't. I don't think our human nature is self-centered enough that I don't think we really come with empathy in its full scale. I mean, I think as young children, we find young children imitating and mimicking certain things that they see in other people. But I don't think that's full-blown empathy until we start to learn how to uh, interact with people. And so I think empathy is something that uh, is a is a practice or a skill that we can learn more of as we exercise that muscle.
0: Why must we show empathy to those we don't agree with even those we think are leading us astray. That could not be more powerful than in this time we're in right now. And that's what drew me to this interview with you is we're kind of, it seems like there's a large population that is right or wrong.
1: We are so polarized in our society that it almost seems like nothing could bridge the chasms that we have between us. And and I'm convinced that really empathy is probably the main way, certainly the main way, maybe the only way that we can bridge some of those chasms, because if we maintain ourselves only on our side of the of the gap and don't reach across the gap, well, there'll never be a connection. And empathy is the kind of thing that I think is uh, disarming. It helps break down barriers because we're not just preaching about ourselves. We're, we're trying to find out. What, what we have in common with each other and reaching across that gap by valuing the other person. I don't think I've ever met a person who, when they felt like they were valued in a discussion, weren't willing to talk about themselves.
0: I was wondering, before we get into a little more with empathy, is what's the difference between empathy and sympathy?
1: There's a number of ways that people are kind of split them up and it will even add uh, the word compassion into the mix as though it's something different too. I think they all overlap. Uh, empathy is a is a much newer term, only coined in the early 1900s. And mm. sympathy is an older term. And so before the word empathy came along, sympathy was kind of all of it. and And so empathy is often regarded as walking in someone else's shoes. But unless we see that from the other person's perspective, all we're doing is just trying on another pair of shoes, where uh, empathy is really reaching out out of outside ourselves and so that we value and understand and feel what the other person is experiencing. Sympathy is usually regarded as some subset of that. Uh, I think empathy is probably the broader term. So how do
0: we do that? How do we show empathy? I'm bridging the gap with my hand
1: here. <laughs> That's the key thing, right? And if we can learn it, then how how do we learn it? And I think we learn it by doing things that move us in the direction of empathy. It's sort of like uh, if you were to, wanted to develop courage, what would you do? Well, you don't all, all of a sudden just become courageous. You do things that uh, reach out in a courageous way. Empathy is kind of the same thing. We, we need to exercise some things, some practices, some skills that move us in that direction. It's a lot like spiritual disciplines where we... We pray and we read scripture and and a number of things in order to put us in a place where the spirit can mold us and use us. And empathy is kind of like that. We do some things that put us in the position that we become more empathetic. Now, what are those things? Well, in in my book, I talk about three main stages or skills of developing empathy. And the first is what I call reception, which is uh, listening, dialogue valuing the other person, learning from the other person uh, what we can. It doesn't mean that we're going to change the way we see things, but but I'll tell you, it will enrich the way we see things. And then the second stage is reflecting on on what we learn from each other and looking for significance and and meaning, uh, the things that are not only common, but the things that we can build between us so that we bridge that gap. And then the third stage is response, taking action in such a way that we are responsible to each other. So there are skills that we can develop along the way. And it begins with listening, to the other person, valuing the other person, asking questions.
0: I love that. I'm a, I'm a coach, and that's what I teach all the time. And we have to start with receiving. We have to be willing to listen and hear, not jump to conclusions, right? Also, when we look at empathy and then influence, I think a lot of people might think influence is, are we trying to win an argument and influence? So is it about righting a wrong or what is it actually?
1: I think it's about building relationships. That word influence today is quite often used more in terms of, of uh, coercion or marketing or trying to convince or persuade somebody. And really that definition is more like imposing our viewpoint, our perspective on the other person and hoping that they'll buy it. And, and what we're talking about here is something that's much, much deeper than that. It's reaching across barriers. You mentioned that, that you're a coach there's a lot of instruction on how to be a good coach and how to be a good mentor. I don't see too much about how to be a mentee or, or how to be an apprentice. And in my book, I talk about that in that uh, skill of, of empathic reception, becoming more like apprentices, learning from each other, uh, what we can learn that we have to offer.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I think it's because we're more of a talking society than a listening society. And so uh, we like to encourage people to be... Men- we, we need mentors. There's no question about that. But we also need to become apprentices. And there's something about the one up, one down. The mentor gets the spotlight. The apprentice is the one who's learning. But if we're going to influence people, we need to learn how to be learners and, and how to approach people in such a way that they uh, teach us something. And, and when that's the case, then people will feel valued. There'll be a connection uh, made there that is really valuable. When not think about the people who have influenced me the most, uh, family members, friends, whatever. They've usually been people who took an interest in me, who showed that I valued somehow. And, and that made a lasting impression, a lasting connection, such that I would listen to that person at times that I might not have otherwise listened to them because they'd taken the time and effort to value me when when they didn't have to.
0: I always say, if people actually see us, it's easier for us to accept what they speak into our life. When I had young kids and I wanted to be a speaker, travel around and speak about some things I had learned. And I didn't have the idea, it was before internet, of paying a mentor that I I didn't know about that. But I had asked several people that had written books and were speakers if they would mentor me. And they were like, "Oh, I don't know how to do that." And I and I remember just being so sad, thinking, "But you did it. Can't you teach me?" I mean, I was so ready for somebody to speak into my life, show me how to do it. It surprised me that I couldn't find anyone to do that.
1: We we need people that we can learn from, and quite often when people are asked to help us, people like to be called upon to uh, talk about themselves and their experience and stuff. So so usually they're pretty ready to do that, but. Quite often, we don't think we have anything to offer. Uh, we don't think we're an influence. And yet yet all of us influence somebody.
0: I think that's the key right there is that people don't even realize necessarily that they are an influence and that people are looking up to them. And because the person that I was looking to, she could have. And I just remember thinking, if anybody ever asks me, what I'll do is I'll teach them everything I know, and then they can move on to somebody who knows more. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought, you know, when we're ready and somebody tells us no, they're not going to be as willing to ask the, the next time. And so I think if people are open and willing to learn that it is sort of our job yeah. to say yes. Am I wrong there? I
1: think you're right. That's a really a good point. It's hard for most of us to to uh, allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the presence of somebody that we recognize knows something that we need to learn. So when somebody comes to us, we need to be ready to, to nurture that, that relationship, because it is hard to seek out someone for uh, an apprenticeship kind of thing. I, I happen to be kind of a curious person, so, so I don't mind going to people who are experts and asking them about what they do. And in fact, in my book, I, I have several people, mostly local to the area where I live, that are examples of the very things that, that we're talking about in engaging one-on-one with people to help each other.
0: Well, and I also thought about that. I thought I went right to, will you mentor me rather than maybe just being curious and saying, well, how did you get started? Finding a way to ask the questions rather than, will you mentor me? Because that yeah. could be probably daunting to somebody who hasn't thought of themselves in that way.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. It, you know, the, we can ask questions that, that allow a person to say whatever they want or feel like saying, But sometimes we'll frame it in a way that they're intimidated. They don't really feel like they have that to offer.
0: Or I know for me, sometimes I think they don't really care. They're just being curious. They're just being nice, you know. But when you find out, people really want to know. So I work in radio. And if somebody really wants to know about radio, I'll tell them everything I know. It doesn't mean I'm not being like, I'm the almighty teacher. But I'll tell you what I know that can help you. So I think maybe kind of reframing. That whatever we have, if we sew, if we cook, I mean, people, kids don't know how to cook. And so, if someone's asking you, "Hey, can you teach me how to cook?" and they're people are thinking everybody can cook, no, not true, right?
1: Yeah, we all have something that we can share, something that we can learn.
0: One of the things that you brought up that I really liked is why don't we give people the benefit of the doubt anymore? I've thought that so often.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point, and I think it's really because. Uh, We've learned, however that has happened, we've learned to value our own perspective and issues and positions more than we value other people. I think the the only way we're going to get beyond that is if we start to really value other people um, rather than just uh, sticking to our own opinions. Because when we reach out, we find that other people aren't always totally in disagreement with us. It seems that way. And Brene Brown says that if we don't know their story, we'll make one up. And and usually when we make up the story, it's not right. It's not what the other person's thinking. Uh, we really have to go to them and find out from them what where they're coming from. And and sometimes we find connections that we wouldn't have found
0: otherwise. I teach recovery coaching. Mm -hmm. So people coming out of drugs and alcohol. So I teach the coaches to be coaches. And just today we did this exercise where kind of a crossing the line, if you can identify with this. Well, one of the questions was, are you adopted? And we've all been together for about over six weeks now and three people were adopted. And I just remember it was so amazing they're like really you too it was like this connection but it doesn't you don't say adopted on your forehead and so it's so easy to just we don't know what we don't know instead of being curious if we get curious and the joy that comes when we think other people have that kind of connection with us
1: right e- exactly and there are things that people carry with them that they don't think other people either want to know or or they don't think that other people value and if we show that we're interested then then people will open up and we'll learn things we didn't know.
0: Yeah, you've addressed this a little, but what is the difference between impact versus influence?
1: Impact is usually kind of a short-term thing. Uh, there are people who use that term to where there's lasting impact, but usually impact is something that you hit it, make a, make a difference. And influence is sometimes understood that way so that they're actually synonyms. But in the sense that we're talking about it here, Influence is something that is more a bridging of, of the divides. With an impact, you can build a piece of the bridge, but you might not build the whole thing because it takes time. It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's not a one-time get-or-done kind of thing like we have in our culture. I think we like the term impact because it sounds like we've got a solution fast. And with things that build relationships and build connections between people, those are things that take a little longer. And because relationships are not just the get-or-done kind of uh, activity.
0: Yeah, I I feel like sometimes we just want that quick thing. We don't want to spend the time it takes. That's right. Can we be empathetic without overcorrecting, without compromising truth?
1: Uh, Yes. That's one of the fears that people have with being empathetic. And when I've heard people talk about empathy being something to have caution about or something that is even bad, Generally, they're referring to a a form of empathy that is is almost more of a distortion than a really healthy form of it. Uh, In my book, I talk about empathy being a set of balances between uh, different kinds of traits. For example, it's a balance between thinking and feeling. We We need both, not just one or the other, because when our relationship with a person is all emotional and no discernment or thinking, We get wrapped up in things that we don't really, we don't know where we're going. And sometimes we'll lose ourselves. If it's too much on the thinking side, sometimes we'll become uh, coercive or manipulative. So it's a balance between our thinking and our feeling. It's also a balance between our awareness of the other person and our awareness of ourselves. Uh, We need both. If our awareness is focused only on the other person, then we will lose our sense of personal boundaries and become so enmeshed in the other person and their situation that we can't separate ourselves from it. On the other hand, if if our awareness is all about ourselves, then we can be aloof and distant and cold. And even though we might feel like we're showing empathy, it's it's not bridging that gap with the other person. So what happens in our culture is that people will have some extreme form, some distortion that has elements of empathy in it, And they may even think that they're being empathetic, and yet it's kind of a distorted view. It's sort of like if something happens, you're in a room full of people, and and someone starts crying or expresses hurt. There'll be a number of reactions in that room. There'll be somebody who will go over and sit with the person and just be with them. There'll be another person who will try to explain some similar event in their life, kind of usually comes across to the person who's hurting as kind of a one-upmanship kind of thing, (laughs) but people will often do that. And there'll be other people who will kind of talk through the situation, a little bit more cognitive. So you get all kinds of forms and different positions on the balance of empathy.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Balance is so important. Something that didn't ever occur to me that I know you talk about in your book is empathy dangerous or
1: even sinful. There are a number of authors that in both books and journal articles and blogs that talk about empathy as being a bad thing. And as you say, even, even sinful. And, and what they, when they ex- lay it out and explain what it is they're talking about, what they're usually talking about is a form of empathy that's all emotion and no discernment. And they call that empathy because empathy has uh, often traditionally been thought of as an emotion only kind of of matching or mimicry uh, of another person. Uh, we see somebody feeling something and we feel it also. If that's all there is to empathy, then we can actually go so far that we lose any uh, judgment of ourselves. Uh, we become so wrapped up in the other person that we are we can't dis- distinguish between ourselves and the other person. And that always gets us into trouble. You know, there are people in relationships that don't know the boundary between themselves and, and the other person. And that usually is harmful for both parties.
0: Yeah. In fact, when you said that, I thought of people who say they're empathic, like they feel other people's pain so strongly and that if they don't take care of themselves, then they lose themselves. Is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Yes. yes. There are a lot of caregivers who mm-hmm. uh, burn out and experience fatigue. And, and generally the reason they, uh, there's a lot of reasons why people experience fatigue, but one of the reasons is that when we are so enmeshed and enwrapped in the other person's situation that we can't take healthy control of ourselves, then we lose a sense of ourselves and that causes fatigue.
0: What do social justice and empathy have in common?
1: Social justice is, is almost like a destination in some ways for uh, where our empathy can, can take us. And, and by social justice... What I mean is being able to be involved with the other person or another group in such a way that we actually are a benefit in some way. And Mm -hmm. in order to do that, we really need to understand the the person, the people and the situations and and reflect on what's important about that. I'm kind of a left brain kind of person by nature. And I like to go from, as soon as I find out the problem, I wanna fix it. I, I wanna jump to the response. I wanna jump to the action. But when I do that, I'm not really being responsible to the other person because I don't understand the situation. I don't really know what it is that they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're going through. And so what happens is we, we short circuit the process. This particularly happens when it's a cross-cultural kind of gap or divide that we're trying to reach across. One side will want to fix it for the other side. And that doesn't work because we're not understanding what the other folks are are thinking and what, what they're feeling. So once we have been through the reception and reflection stages and we get to the response and responsibility part of it, then we got enough relationship. We got enough uh, re- relational capital built up with the other person, enough trust that we can start to do some things together that usually pertain to social justice uh, for groups or or individual help if, if it's needed. But as long as we're... In, in the situation where we just want to jump in and help, it's usually not help.
0: Isn't that true? It's finding a way to be respectful of somebody and not just go, I have what you need. I'm going to make this all better.
1: Exactly. Yeah. One of the people that I interview in my book is someone who works with women who are um, part of the sex trafficking situation here in the Greenville, South Carolina area. It, it, I mean, it's, it's pervasive across the country. So it's not a lot different here than it is anywhere else, but she has for quite a while because she has empathy for the, the people who are on the streets, worked with them, talked with them, developed relationships with them. And when some folks in Greenville decided to have a, a ministry or an outreach or program to help uh, get some of these folks off the street, She was about the only one in the community who actually knew who the people were who were on the streets that could be helped and and what their situation was, what their own perspective and outlook was. She now runs a a program here in Greenville called Jasmine Road, uh, which is based upon a program that was from Nashville called Thistle Farms that is is doing just that, getting people off the street. If we don't know the people, we're really not going to help.
0: That's so good. And again, you keep saying this, it boils down to relationship. And when you have relationship, then you build trust. There's a saying, I'm probably going to get it all wrong, but it's hard to hate somebody close up. And so if you have differences with somebody and you're sitting across the table, it's going to be a little harder to be like, I think this way. And you think that way you're going to be in conversation. And maybe that's where that disconnect is going to change one person at a time.
1: So I believe that's true. We'll, We'll actually develop friends Even though those friends may have very different perspectives than ours, and we may disagree with them on a number of things, but we can still be friends because we value each other.
0: What does an empathetic leader look like?
1: Jim Collins wrote uh, an excellent book called Good to Great, and he talks about level five leaders. And he says that a level five leader is an interesting paradoxical blend between humility and, and a strong will for what needs to be done it's not exactly those words i'm paraphrasing but that humility is part and parcel of the empathy that we're talking about here so a person with empathy is not weak a person with empathy it takes strength to actually reach across uh, big divides and talk with people that are very different than us it, it is difficult and it doesn't always make the connection uh, there are people in my life that i cannot bridge that divide it's just i can't do it myself but i will say that every expression of empathy helps. Every expression of empathy moves in the right direction, even though ultimately we may not be the ones that uh, end up bridging that gap.
0: Can this book help us deal with difficult people and people that we disagree strongly with on important issues?
1: <laughs> I believe it can, because I believe that, uh, I believe very strongly that empathy is really the, the only characteristic quality Skill uh, that will bridge the divides. And and it won't always work, but like I said, it will always help. In in this kind of climate that we're in, where there's such polarization, such uh, big chasms between people, it's difficult because it causes us to possibly look vulnerable. But vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability takes a lot of strength and courage.
0: Yes, it does. Our time is just about up. I had a couple more questions. One is, How has the pandemic affected our ability to influence and be influenced?
1: We've been experiencing for the past year and a half, uh, really more than one pandemic. One is a virus, but there are pandemics of economics. There are pandemics of hostility toward people. There are pandemics of mental health. And and anything that creates more isolation between people affects mental health. We need to reach across that isolation. We, we need connection now more than we've ever needed it before two years ago. And, and we needed it then, uh, but we need it even more now. And so I, I believe that the kind of lasting heart-to-heart influence that uh, my book presents, I think, is, is a way to get us in a new and better place after this pandemic. Why
0: does it help to hear and value people's stories?
1: Everyone likes to tell their story. And quite often I hear people say that it's important how we need to know what our story is and tell it to others. I would modify that and say that the first thing we need to do is hear the other person's story. Our story is important and there's a time and place for it to be told. But if we want to connect with people, hearing their story, letting the other person talk is, is a grace that is not often seen in in our society today.
0: What I'm taking away from today is listening, connecting, building those relationships. The name of your book is Influential Christian, Learning to Lead from the Heart, and it's all about influence and empathy.
1: Uh, My website is uh, m.w.andrews mwandrews.com. You can also find it on, on Amazon or any place where you can uh, search for books.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed this.
0: I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people who are making a difference.